Welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. This podcast is presented by the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation and hosted by our CEO, Jamie Irvin. At the Heavy Duty Consulting Corporation, we work with manufacturers, distributors, and repair shops who want to grow their business. Do you have a problem that you would like some help with? We have developed fault codes for heavy duty parts businesses, just like they have for commercial trucks. Find out how many fault codes your business has and how you stack up against dozens of other heavy-duty parts businesses. Head to heavydutyconsulting.com and schedule a meeting with us today. All right, let's start this episode. You're listening to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. I'm your host, Jamie Irvin, and this is the show where you get expert advice about heavy-duty parts that keeps trucks and trailers on the road longer while lowering costs per mile. My guest today is James Cade. He's the principal at Asset and Maintenance Insights, and he's a returning guest on the show. James, welcome to the Heavy Duty Parts Report. Glad to have you back on the show. Oh, thanks. Thanks for bringing me back. Appreciate it. So I've been seeing a lot of your uh, posts on LinkedIn. You've been a busy, busy man, and you've been doing some really interesting work with fleets kind of want to talk to you about the trends that you're seeing in the move away from internal combustion engine to electric vehicles. So maybe we could start there. Some of the work that you've been doing, you've been working with several fleets. What are you seeing as the big trends with fleets right now with electric vehicles? I think the the thing that I'm hearing and seeing a lot of is that uh, fleets, you know, they want to do something and they have the interest, they have the you know, the public is putting a lot of pressure on fleets, I think, as far as, as being uh, wanting to turn green and do, do more in that area, reduce their carbon footprint, decarbonize. So a lot of the, there's a lot of pressure to do something, but I think a lot of fleets, especially, uh, you know, mid-sized fleets and some smaller fleets, but mostly the mid-size either don't have the, ref, the uh, resources or the understanding of just where to start. And that's quite honestly is the where I come in a lot of times is helping these fleets get started in their um, in their transitions, helping to understand what is um, what's available, how will it fit into their operations, and then also helping um, to secure grants and um, talking with utilities, which is a big <laughs> which is a big challenge as well. So it's really an interesting time. Done some work in this area with with other fleets. And can help provide that uh, that resource to get things started and get them right. on the path to implementing electric vehicles. Right. So if you're if you're a fleet that feels that there's an opportunity to convert some of your units to electric vehicles, what's the price difference between buying like a traditional uh, what you call an ICE vehicle, internal combustion engine, versus electric? Is it? 10% more? Is it 100% more? Just, I, I'm curious about that. It varies by classification a little bit. And quite honestly, the pricing is coming down, but you're still, you're still almost double in some cases. In some applications, um, maybe a 50% higher price, but uh, especially when you get into the heavy duty vehicles, it's almost double where, where you were with, a, with an ICE vehicle. Although the gap is the gap is shrinking because one you have two things going on you have the the EVs which are becoming as more and more start getting developed and and, what, and out there is the uh, price is starting to come down 
Secondly, is that you have ICE vehicles or internal combustion engine vehicles that are becoming more expensive because of meeting the new regulations and everything. So that so that gap is is, is shrinking, but uh, it's still right now as EVs are still more expensive to purchase than an ICE vehicle. So when when um, you talk to the manufacturers of these electric vehicles, and I've seen that you've done some work with them, what's your feeling on their outlook as to the uh, the percentage of market share that they can they can attain let's say between now and 2030 are are they thinking that they can get 10 percent of the total vehicles 20 percent i know in california they, they've mandated i think it's 50 percent and then they have another date for 100 percent. but the rest of the country it's not going to be at that uh total amount so what what's your feeling on where we're going to go between let's say now and 2030 as to how many electric vehicles will be on the road well, as right now, as you said, California is really the only one that has mandated uh, the use of electric vehicles across the spectrum by uh, actually starting in the next couple of years, um, requirement of OEMs to start selling electric vehicles, certain percentage of their overall total. Uh, and fleets also are going to be required to start buying electric vehicles in, in California. The uh, What's interesting is it's What's happening actually is that many states are looking at what California has, has done and is starting to um, take steps towards implementing uh, the California model, basically. I believe it's 15 states as of right now have signed on to a memorandum of understanding with California, basically taking their existing programs and uh, begin the process of implementing those into their state. Uh, operation or state uh, regulations as well. Most of those states are in the Northeast and along the East Coast, but also, uh, you know, Oregon and Washington and others are also uh, participating. And then you also have Canada that has signed the same, uh, Canada anyway, as far as like uh, Ontario has signed on to the same, the same memorandum of understanding. So again, there's a lot of activity around. And I think the, the manufacturers, both the startups as well as the traditional OEMs are looking, uh, they're going to, they're going to be pushed into a corner or required to do things that to um, produce electric vehicles for much more uh, jurisdictions than just California. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Well, I'm looking forward in our next segment to talking to you more about what you've been doing with fleets. And we're also going to talk about the heavy duty parts angle on all this. So we'll talk to you in the next segment. Don't have a heavy-duty part number and need to look up a part? Go to parts.diesellaptops.com or download the app on Apple or Android to create your free account. Looking for high-quality fuel injection for heavy-duty applications? Having one supplier for fuel injection allows you to better serve customers by providing them with a complete line, which increases your sales and profitability. Learn more at ambacinternational.com aftermarket. Okay, so James, we've got you back uh, for our next segment. And, you know, I'm really interested to learn more about what you've been doing. You know, you're, you're working with fleets, you're, you're talking to them about adopting and adding electric vehicles to the mix of the equipment that they're operating. You know, right away, there's some big questions, James, that I, that I have. But the first one is, if, if the electric vehicle is going to be mandated, and it's going to be more expensive, how do fleets make that work economically? How do they get that money back? Well, there's a couple of areas. One is is the power or the fuel, the energy, whatever you want to call it, for an electric vehicle. 
the difference between an ICE and an EV. The fuel or the power and electricity for the EV is going to be much, much less than diesel, especially in today's environment, you know, when we're paying upwards of $5 a gallon for diesel fuel across the country. You're talking about EVs operating on on, on pennies or even a, a few dollars for the same operations. So there's going to be a, a significant savings in just the, the energy side of operating an electric vehicle. The other thing about electric vehicle is, is that there's a lot less moving parts. I mean, this is pretty well known across the industry. There's a lot less moving parts. There are um, some concern is that around reliability of the EVs, at least in the early stages. You know, if you go back and look at, if you go down and look at, there was a, a recent J.D. Powers report released on automotive quality, and they they were uh, very uh, down on the quality or reliability of EVs in the uh, automotive sector because of the of the the unknowns. Quite honestly, you, you know, you're walk, you're working with a systems that have never really been tried over long periods of time. So again, the reliability is not there that uh, they would expect to see on a on an ICE vehicle. And I expect that same level of issues will show up on our EVs on heavy duties and uh, light duty, medium duty, heavy duty EVs as well. It's uh, understandable because if you look at the on the automotive side or even the truck side, we've had 50, 50 to 60 years of development to get to the level of quality we have on ICE vehicles today. So we'll get there, but at least in the early early stages, I think we will see some reliability issues. Right. So you're working with um with fleets, and I know if I was operating a fleet, I'd have some concerns. So let's let's go through some of them. So one, what about charging infrastructure? Like I'm sure back when when uh, gasoline engines were first being developed, there were people with horse and buggy who were going, ah, they're never going to be able to get the infrastructure, you know, nationwide with oil and gas, right? And and I hear the same thing from people today. It's like, oh, well, the charging stations, you know, they're never going to be able to get that done. And look at California. They got brownouts in the summer from AC units. And I, I mean, I've, I've had that opinion. So what's your thoughts on, on charging stations? And then we'll talk about parts in a, in a minute. The overall situation with, with EVs is the, the biggest issue right now is infrastructure. And, you know, two sides or two levels of that. One is that the... Um, the ability to have the power available to be able to provide the the amount of uh, charging power that is needed. You know, if you look at a, you know, I've seen some a couple of different studies done and done my own calculations, and you know, you take a look at a fleet of 10 to 15 heavy duty vehicles operating on regional status today, coming back and recharging every night. That's the same amount of electricity that a small factory. Would, would need to operate. So again, it's it's a it's a major commitment of power that the utilities will will have to uh, to figure out. The other side of the coin is, and more for fleets, the challenge is getting the power where you need it. And you know, trucking companies typically are transportation companies. Their, their fleet operations are typically in areas where maybe not the best side of town or or uh, older facilities that may not have the infrastructure developed for uh, for the needs of an electric vehicle. So sometimes just getting that electric power in the quantities you need to a facility can be a huge undertaking, not only for the fleet, but also for the utility. 
in some of my dealings with uh, with fleets and, and utilities is quite honestly buying the vehicles is the easy part. It's the infrastructure development that becomes the challenge. And most utilities will tell you today is that it's anywhere from 12 to 18 months process just to get the power to where levels that you need to to your facilities to be able to meet your requirements. And that's really been the challenge. The infrastructure is is going to be a challenge going forward for several reasons. One, getting where you need it, but also getting the power in the levels that you need to recharge vehicles on a regular basis. Now, when it comes to the parts and service side of it, at least initially, most of the EVs that people are going to be using in a commercial setting are going to be on dedicated routes, and they're going to be relatively close to home, meaning we're not going to see EVs just yet traveling coast to coast, right? Because there's there's range limits. So at least from the perspective of the fleet, I can see how they would be like, okay, I'm not really that worried about the truck breaking down in Colorado and I'm based out of Florida. But what I do think would be a concern, and, and maybe you can give some insight on this, is like, okay, it, there's less parts, but but what happens when the vehicle does break down? Is it going to be significantly more expensive to replace the parts that do need to be replaced? And how am I going to get those parts? Because it, you know, what what is the uh, distribution channel of the parts going to look like? So, what's your thoughts on that? Again, kind of looking at some of the information I've been reviewing is that as of right now, when you look at the parts issues around EVs, is two or three things are are going on. One is the parts themselves that you have to purchase in most cases are more expensive than what you expect to see on a on an ICE vehicle. So you have a higher cost of the of the parts. In many cases it takes longer to get because if you just don't go down to your local dealer and pick up a a, a DC to DC converter for a uh, for an EV if it happens to go bad. And then the the, the third thing is is that uh, and it depends on the company again, I think this is one of the one of the discussion points that needs to happen is that uh, there's a lot of startup companies going uh, going on in in the country right now, and, and then you have the traditional that already has the distribution channels and everything available, and then you have all these startups that are really challenged, I think, to try and match that same level of commitment that the traditional OEMs have. They're stepping up and they're getting there, but again, I think we're going to have some early Early on, we're going to have some challenges in getting the parts. And most of the parts, quite honestly, when we're talking about the high voltage system on the vehicles, is specialized to that individual vehicle. So you're not, like I said, you're not going to be able to go to your local store and pick one up. You're going to have to rely on the manufacturer of that vehicle to get you that part. Well, it's anything but a straight path. That's that's for for sure. And and I think that's why we need experts like you to be available to help. So if um if if a fleet is looking to to work with you if you, if you could summarize like what are you doing for them what problems can you help them solve how can you help them with their with their business i think the the biggest thing is just knowing uh, my based on experience of of operating large fleets for transportation companies for many many years and then a few years ago getting into the ev side being able to match those two pieces of experience allows me to work with fleets to understand where they need to start today. And I think that's really the biggest challenge a lot of a lot of fleets are are struggling with is okay, where do I start? You know, do I go buy a vehicle first or do I go talk to my local utility? 
But I can tell you that from where I am today in the, in the um, involvement that I've had up to this point is there's a lot of planning that needs to go on before you even start thinking about talking to utilities or manufacturers of electric vehicles. There needs to be a lot of thought put into it about as far as how will your operations match up with uh, an EV limitations? Can it fit into your operations? Can your operations be be uh, modified to fit the, the requirements of EV? So there's a lot of planning that goes on that needs to go on before you even make a commitment to either a utility company or an EV manufacturer. It needs to be understood. And that's where I come in, I think, is, is helping and help drive those discussions and maybe shorten the planning process based off the experience I've had in the last few years in this area. Right. It's amazing, right? You have all these years of experience and you can condense that down for somebody and they can they can gain all of that experience that you've taken decades to build in just a short period of time. So and and everyone listening, don't ever forget the five P's. Proper planning prevents poor performance. So having someone like James there to help you out is a great thing. So if people want to learn more, um, I, I think that your website's a great place for people to start. So if you want to learn more about what James does, head over to fleetami.com and uh, you'll be able to get an overview of what he's doing there and be able to contact him directly so that you could get him involved in your fleet operation. James, thank you so much for being on the Heavy Duty Parts Report again. It's been wonderful to have you back and I look forward to having another conversation with you in the near future. Appreciate it. Thanks for the invite. HCA Truck Pride is the heart of the Independent Parts and Service Channel. They have 750 parts stores and 450 service centers conveniently located across the U.S. and Canada. Visit heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride today to find a location near you. Again, that's heavydutypartsreport.com slash Pride and let the heart of the Independent Service Channel take care of your commercial equipment.